Is the era of cheap money over with? Yes. Hell yes, it's over with. But the era of cheap money wasn't when you thought it was, nor was it what you thought it was. Now, we all associate cheap money with uh, the Federal Reserve because that's what we're taught in school. That's what you see on the media. That's what you see reinforced every single day. That's what everybody says. Money fed, if the, if the Fed says money monetary policies are being accommodative, therefore we have cheap money. Now, just the other day, a woman by the name of Allison Harding Jones, who is the vice chair of corporate investment and the head of M&A activity in EMEA region at Citigroup, had this to say about it. She said, it's absolutely fascinating to me that I have people who come to me who are starting to think about being made a managing director in an investment bank who started in this business in 2010 or 2011. And so they've never really seen an environment where money hasn't essentially been free or very, very cheap. There it is, the common perception. The idea that because interest rates are low and because the Fed wanted interest rates low, in fact, they wanted them so badly to be low, they created money out of thin air, making interest rates low, that the monetary system, the monetary condition has been free, easy, cheap, money. It's what you hear all the time. And there, this explains why we have a stock market bubble or had, why we had a crypto bubble, real estate bubble, any number of things, all because the Fed wanted easy, accommodative policy. And while that might be true in a very narrow set of circumstances for Ms. Harding Jones and her, uh, the people in her industry of investment banking, does that e the, the era of cheap money apply to anyone else or enough other people that we can actually say that their money has actually been cheap? And how would we know otherwise? Well, we'll get into that next. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you for joining me. I appreciate, your, appreciate you showing up here. Um, if you're interested, we have member videos, exclusive content available at our website, eurodollar.university, where we go into the nitty gritty background details and actually examine the evidence, not just take everyone's word for it, about what, what the monetary system is and what it is doing and when it is doing what it is doing and how it's doing it. We also evaluated quantitative easing in recent member videos. You can check them out, eurodollar.university. Also, research subscriptions, same kind of stuff, uh, re deep dive analysis, as well as a daily briefing to get you up to date on everything that's going on in the world as everything is unfolding, including how do we evaluate the current monetary conditions, which may not be so, is, so much as easy as everyone says. That's all at eurodollar.university. Check out the website there, all the information available. Okay, so easy money. How would we know that there's easy money? Well, if, if one of the top executives of Citigroup's M&A division says it's been free and easy money, that kind of sounds like a, a consistent with what everything that we've been told and taught ever from the very beginning, as well as low interest rates. But the funny thing about low interest rates is that when you see interest rates fall, it only tells you about a small segment of the overall credit and monetary environment because the interest rates that we all talk about, the interest rates that we all see on TV or in the media or across social media and the internet are those that apply to a very narrow segment of the entire economic, monetary, and financial system, right? If we're talking about treasury yields, 
That's the yield for the U.S. Treasury. The U.S. Treasury can borrow at this rate. That doesn't mean that everybody else can borrow at that rate. Now, the clients that are paying Citigroup's M&A division to, to raise funds so that they can do their M&A activity, they probably get a rate that's closer to Citigroup than anybody else, or closer to the Treasury than anybody else, less, less of a spread off the risk-free. But what about mom or pop or small or medium-sized enterprises, SMEs as they call them in Europe, what about them? What kind of easy money or what kind of monetary and credit conditions have they experienced over the last, say, 15 years or so? How would we know? Well, we have some data that tells us. We have lots of data that shows whether monetarily, I'm going to use the tick data here. There's been no easy money over the last 15 years. Look at the credit statistics using the Z1 or the financial accounts of the United States which is put together, by the way, by the folks at the Federal Reserve. And what you see is there is a clean break in the, in the credit growth and the credit environment because of the monetary environment. And we know this because of when that break happened, right in 2008. Ever since then, credit has been expanding in the United States, but it has not been expanding at anywhere close to the same rate. So if the easy money era that uh, Ms. Harding-Jones talked about going back to 2010, 2011, coincident with the Fed's QE, where's all the money? Where's all the credit? In fact, it's the exact opposite. We had tons of money and credit growth before the monetary crisis in 2008, and there then a lack of money and credit growth afterward. But what Ms. Harding-Jones was pointing out was true but only from her own perspective. In this lack of money environment, in this constrained monetary environment since 2008, which is the opposite, people like her can get all the credit they want. So what she was saying was absolutely true, that for her and her clients, uh, money has been very free, easy, very, very cheap. Why? Because she can package together these loans into a syndication or a CLO or whatever the, the case may be, or syndicate them loans and put them in a CLO. And the next thing you know, you have a marketable liquid security. In other words, it's been free and easy money for those who are the least risky and the most liquid, like the U.S. federal government. I know the credit characteristics, the the uh, long run in the long run trajectory of U.S. Uh, federal government debt is obscene, yet. The truth remains, U.S. Treasury debt continues to be the safest and liquid, continues to be treated as the safest and li most liquid instruments in the world, which gets us into the interest rate fallacy. The interest rate fallacy says that when interest rates are low, when interest rates that we observe, interest rates on things like U.S. Treasuries are low, it's not because the central bank has made monetary, monetary policy easy and accommodative, quite the opposite. Think about it in terms of demand. When everybody, when the entire financial system demands the safest, most liquid instruments and are willing to pay an enormous premium for safe and liquid instruments, like what Citigroup's M&A uh, department actually produces, or big companies like Google and Alphabet who can, or Google is Alphabet, isn't it? Google, Alphabet, uh, Meta, Facebook, whatever their names might happen to be nowadays, they can borrow any pretty much name their price 
It's easy money for them because safety and liquidity are being prioritized, which is the opposite of easy money in any, any realistic systemic sense. For everybody else, the interest rate that you don't see for mom and pop or small and medium-sized businesses is enormous. It's not easy money. It's never been cheap money for much of the global economy. And we see this, as Milton Friedman pointed out when he coined the term interest rate fallacy, at poignant times in history. Go back to the 1990s in Japan, a time when nobody would confuse with easy and accommodative money, except for those who are blinded by the Bank of Japan's ineptitude. What do you see interest rates do throughout the 1990s, the lost decade in Japan, the deflationary decade in Japan? Interest rates go down because safety and liquidity are prioritized. Interest rates went down for the Japanese government, no matter how ridiculous the amount of spending the Japanese government did, interest rates went down because of the safety liquidity characteristics embedded within JGBs, while credit, the rest of the economy in Japan was absolutely starved of credit. So when we say easy money, easy money for the bank of, or for the government of Japan, not easy money for everybody else. Same thing in the 1930s in the United States as Milton Friedman pointed out in his interest rate fallacy, interest rates throughout the 30s fell. The interest rates that we could see actually fell in the 1930s. Again, nobody would, co would consider the 1930s as easy and accommodative money. Quite the opposite, deflation. Even during the recovery period between 34 and 37, still was never considered really easy money despite all the gold inflows, interest rates kept going down. Banks cut their loans. And what you see is what, very much what, what, what you see in the U.S. credit data that I showed you earlier for the 2010s. There was a break. Banks in the 30s, like banks in the 2010s, no lending, only owning safe liquid instruments. So the interest rates that we see on safe liquid instruments went down and down and down and stayed down because fundamentally... In any form of deflationary environment, we look at bond yields and decompose bond yields, as Irving Fisher once did, into nominal growth and inflation expectations. In a deflationary, low-growth, depression type of environment, again, just like the interest rate fallacy says, safety and liquidity are prioritized, which means the market is not expecting growth and inflation. Quite the opposite. So while, again, going back to Ms. Harding-Jones' statement about easy money, that's what everybody has believed about the era of QE. The QE lowered interest rates, which we know aren't true. And again, you go on to our Eurodollar University member videos. We go through all the reasons why QE isn't what everybody says. And you can also take it from me because I've had quite a few conversations with some economists recently, including a, a, an interview I just did with Money and Macro, uh, the Money and Macro channel on YouTube, where they realize quantitative easing doesn't perform the way everybody says. It doesn't seem to have many impacts in the real economy or any impacts in the real economy, which that seems to be puzzling. Not f Number one, because, again, going back to, to, to this, this quote from Ms. Harding-Jones, everybody believes that if interest rates are low, that means that money has been cheap and easy. Even though all the evidence shows, including these academic studies that are put together by central banks and economists, 
that it doesn't create easy money whatsoever. It doesn't lead to the economic uh, economic results everybody has been advertised. So since 2010 and 2011, supposedly easy money, easy money for certain parts of the economy, that's why, despite the fact that everybody says monetary policy has been accommodative, hardly anything seems to have been accommodated. It just doesn't work out. Which brings us to the yield curve in 2022. Interest rates up until 2021 remained incredibly low, consistent with the interest rate fallacy, which was that despite the Fed's repeated QE efforts, again, already a clue, it can't have been quantitative if you got to do it over and over and over again. Again, the Japanese example, the Japanese around their 26th iteration of QE, can't at least, it can't have been quantitative. So was it easing? It was easing for Citigroup's M&A division, but not easing for enough of the actual financial system to make it a useful, useful policy. So we have this disconnect, and the disconnect was priced fundamentally into bond yields, no matter how many times people said there's too many treasuries, we look only at supply and demand, the interest rates environment up until 2021 was conclusive, conclusive, that easy money didn't exist for for enough of the global financial system or economic system whatsoever. Low interest rates. And that also applied to 2018 and 2019, or actually 2017 and 2018 into 2019. Remember, interest rates rose beginning around September of 2017. They went up further and further and further until it get to 2018, where they'd been the highest in years. And everybody said, here comes the inflation of the Fed's hiking rates, uh, hiking rates for reversing the so-called accommodative monetary policy. But yet, what do we see the yield curve do? The yield curve flattened out and then inverted, which told you at that time that the only factor pushing rates up was the Federal Reserve. Not tightening monetary policy, but raising rates because they believed they needed to tighten monetary policy. When the market said, no need to do the tightening because money and the monetary condition was always um, the opposite of accommodative. It hadn't changed in 2017 and 2018. The only thing that changed was the Fed's perception of it, which is why they were raising rates. Fast forward to 2021, what do we see again? We see this an even more extreme version of 2018 and 2019. The only thing that is pushing rates up is the Federal Reserve. We know this because of how inverted the curves have become. There is a tremendous amount of demand for longer term treasuries that's only being, the prices are being set or influenced by the short end, but as soon as the Fed, look at what happened over the last week. As soon as the Fed says, we're done hiking rates, or it looks like there's a possibility the Fed's done hiking rates. They, they obviously haven't confirmed that. But even just the slimmest or the slightest current chance that the Fed is going to stop raising rate, what happens to long-term rates? They have absolutely collapsed. And the reason is, quite simply, because rates are trying to go back to where they are or should be fundamentally, given the fact that outside of Citigroup, Money has never been easy. But either way, the inverted curve and the degree of uh, inversion in the curve says interest rates are trying to go back 
to where they belong. And where they belong is not in more easy money. They actually belong where money has been tight as it's been over the last 15 years. The yield curve again is telling us this repeated history. Alan Greenspan's conundrum. His conundrum was confusing, like Miss Harding Jones, low interest rates for systemic easy money. And the reason for this is because the Federal Reserve doesn't create money. Quantitative easing only creates narrow use interbank tokens. Easy money in name only. The implications, yield curve inversion, we're just reverting back to the deflationary, not easy money paradigm of the last 15 years. What that means, nothing really good here. But you knew that. I'm Jeff. Thank you for joining me. As always, massive, huge thank you to Eurodollar University members, as well as our research subscribers, the daily briefing, as well as the deep dive analysis, the bundle that you can get with Markets Insider Pro. Check us out at eurodollar.university. Until next time, take care.